Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Uh, the rest of you, please open your Bibles to the book of Mark, Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. <clears throat> if you don't have a Bible, they will, there will be a paperback Bible underneath one of the chairs in front of you. And so you can grab one of those and turn it to page 489 for Mark chapter 4. Um, <clears throat> a couple just quick things I want to mention. Pastor Brian mentioned the lifeline. Um, just want to make sure you know what that is. That's a, a weekly email that goes out to keep all of you updated on what's going on in the life of the church. So if you're not on that email list, let us know. We want to make sure that, um, that your name and email are included. <clears throat> there are um, a connection cards underneath the chairs in front of you also, and that would be one way that you could get us that information. Um, also, in the prayer, John mentioned the, uh, the merging of our youth group, so maybe some of you know this, but maybe not everybody, that Westminster and New Life are merging our youth groups. So uh, tonight is the first night when the two of them are meeting together, and so we're just really excited uh, about this and um, thrilled for an opportunity to join with Westminster in common ministry in this way. So uh, that's starting tonight. We're grateful for that. You can pray for our youth as the Lord directs you. All right, Mark chapter 4. We're continuing the sermon series here of this gospel. Um, I think probably all of you would agree that uh, one of the great blessings in life is to have somebody in your life who is a good listener, do you have somebody in your life who is a good listener, somebody who looks you right in the eye, uh, somebody who is not easily distracted, somebody who gets you? Sometimes we talk about it that way. He or she gets me, understands uh, what I'm saying. Do you have a good listener in your life? Are you a good listener? I wonder if I asked your husband or wife or roommate or friend or brother or sister if you were a good listener. I wonder what they would say. Uh, we know that there are some examples of bad listening. I, I think we have uh, all been in that situation where you're on the airplane getting ready to take off and the steward or the stewardess stands up and begins to give you those instructions about what to do if the plane lands in the water. And you don't listen very well to that, do you? Kind of tune it out. I've heard this before. You don't concentrate. You divert your attention you're not listening. Actually, you know, that could come in handy. In fact, that could be the matter, a difference uh, between life and death. Sometimes it's important to listen, and if it's important to listen to one another, friends, how much more important is it to listen to God, to be sensitive to the voice of God? My question to you this morning, when it comes to listening to the Word of God, are you a good listener? Do you get it? Are you paying attention? That's what the parable of the sower is all about, and that's where we are in Mark chapter 4, the parable of the sower, thinking of Jesus and His Word. This is a, a parable about the Word of God being spread widely, and how people respond to the Word of God when it goes forth depends upon whether they listen. And whether they listen depends, according to this parable, on the condition of their hearts. How you listen, how you hear the Word of God, even this morning as we sit here for the next 30 minutes, 
How you respond to what you are about to hear will depend on the condition of your heart. Are you ready to listen? Let's stand if you're able, and we're going to read Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. A little bit more of a lengthy passage, so if you have trouble standing, feel free to sit. Mark 4, 1 through 20. And he, that is Jesus, began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said... He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven." And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and those are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Holy Spirit, would you come now and help us listen to your word? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Parable of the sower. This is one of uh, the most well-known parables in the Gospels. And as I mentioned earlier, we've been going through the book of Mark, just taking it one section at a time and working our way through the entire gospel. And one thing that perhaps you have noticed as we enter here to chapter 4 is that Jesus has now chosen a different way of teaching. So if we look at the beginning of the chapter, it says Jesus began to teach beside the sea. There's this large crowd following and gathering. So he gets on a boat sits on it in the sea so that uh, the people have room to gather. And then in verse 2, we see that he was teaching them many things in parables. So we haven't heard about parables yet. 
so far, but here they are introduced. Jesus is now choosing to teach in this different way. So we might pause here and just ask, what is a parable? What is a parable? A parable is not a fable. A fable generally doesn't have to do with like real life events. A, a parable is not an allegory. In an allegory, pretty much every element of the story has some significance, and it's true the parable of the sower is more allegorical than most parables, but generally speaking, a parable is not an allegory. It's not really an illustration either. An illustration is more limited, just seeking to illumine a particular point. A parable is different. It's unique. And here's how I'm going to define a parable. It's an earthy story. By earthy, I mean it's just ordinary. It has to do with just everyday activity and events. An earthy story with a spiritual or moral lesson that is designed to prompt a decision or a response. So these are not just interesting stories for you to listen to. These are stories, parables that are told to get you to respond somehow. Um, sometimes the parables are kind of weird, actually. They're a little bit strange. Sometimes it's hard to know what the point really is, and that's part of the purpose. It's trying to get the wheels turning. It wants to get you to think a little bit. Actually, the parable that we're reading here today, though, is one of the easiest to understand because Jesus explains it for us, which is wonderful. He doesn't do that with every parable, but um, we see that in the second half of this passage. So the way the passage is designed, Jesus tells the parable, then he kind of gives this little explanation of the purpose of the parables, and then he explains the parable. So uh, before we go further, let's consider that little passage there in the middle, verses 10 through 12, where Jesus tells us the purpose of the parables, the reason why he's beginning to teach in this particular way, verses 10 through 12. <clears throat> and what we see from this is that there are really two reasons that Jesus is beginning to teach in parables. And one is to reveal. Uh, what one of Jesus' reason is to uncover what has been hidden, to, to illumine, uh, to, to teach. So if we look here in verse 10, when he was alone... Those around him with the twelve, his disciples, they asked him about the parables. You know, he's teaching this new way. What's going on, Jesus? Why are you teaching in parables? And he says to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. So he's saying that there is a revelation here. To, to you, my disciples, those of you who have responded to me in faith and are following me, God has given to you what you know. Uh, there's an implication here, friends, which is a challenge, I think, to prideful humanity who typically think that we can figure out all of the secrets of life through scientific endeavors or philosophical speculation. And what Jesus is really saying here is if you're going to know anything about God, He has to reveal it to you. You're not figuring it out on your own. You're not figuring it out by getting a degree at Harvard. You're not figuring it out by reading a whole bunch of books. You're not figuring it out just because you're smarter than somebody else. If you're going to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, God has to reveal that to you. Do you remember when Peter is talking to Jesus and Jesus says to Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus says to him next, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, that is Peter, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, 
but my Father who is in heaven. Basically, he's saying, right answer, Peter, very good, but don't think that you figured that out on your own. The reason you know that is because God revealed it to you. And so God is sovereign in what he reveals and to whom he reveals. And so through the parables and through his teaching, there's going to be a revelation to certain people. But friends, watch this. The other purpose of parables is to conceal. So let's look here at the rest of this verse. At the end of verse 10, or 11, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that, now he quotes from Isaiah chapter 6, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, may hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now, I'm speaking in parables to obscure Now, that that sounds kind of shocking maybe, but let's remember the context here. Jesus' ministry has been going on for a while. He's been teaching. He's been healing. He's been performing miracles. People have been astonished at his teaching. People have said, no one has ever taught like this. Crowds have been following him. At one level, it's kind of easy to tell that this is a guy who ought to be listened to. But there are some who say no. There are some who won't listen. There are some who say um, uh, this man is performing the works of the devil, as we learned a couple of weeks ago. There are some who resist this. In fact, there are some who are even beginning to think about how to kill him, we learn at the end of chapter 3. And so, I think that's what Jesus means when he says, those on the outside, there at the end of verse 11. Those who have not been listening, those who have not been receiving what I have had to say, I'm speaking in parables so that they would not perceive In other words, there seems to be a bit of an act of judgment here. In response to the unbelief of some people, Jesus is now speaking in parables to conceal. So the parables are brilliant in that way. They're genius. They reveal while also concealing. And this depends on the working of God's Spirit to reveal His truth to whom He wishes. So that's the purpose of the parables according to verses 10 through 12. But now let's consider uh, the story itself. Um, It is indeed an earthy story, literally, right? (laughs) I said a parable is an earthy story. This is a story about uh, a farmer. There's a farmer sowing seed in his fields, and he's looking for crops. He's trying to see which ones are flourishing and which ones aren't. Um, We have a garden ourselves uh, this summer, and so we planted a, a lot of crops, and um, our radishes came up really good, and our corn came up pretty well. Uh, we got tomatoes everywhere. I mean, anybody can grow a tomato, right? I mean, tomatoes are easy to grow, but they're doing really well. Um, but our green beans are not coming up. No green beans. I don't know what happened. We planted them once. They didn't come up. I planted them again. Nothing. Uh, honeydew's coming up uh, a little slow. I mean, what's going on there? Why is it that some are growing and some aren't? I mean, we have farmers in our congregation. Perhaps they could explain it to me, but there is kind of a, a mystery there, right? But in this parable, what Jesus is saying is that the difference between the good crops and the bad crops is actually the condition of the soil. And so we see in this parable... Um, different elements that mean different things. And so, again, this is kind of, yeah, allegorical. It's a little bit atypical for a lot of parables. But um, 
just to help you now, this, think this way as we look at this parable. The sower is the preacher. Or, or you could also say the sower is, is God as He is disseminating His Word. Typically, He uses a preacher as the means by which that happens, but the Word is going forth through the preacher. The seed is the Word. It's the Scriptures. It's the content of the Bible as it is proclaimed. And of course, the Bible reaches us in a lot of different ways, right? Um, most typically, perhaps, in an environment like this where you're coming to church and you're listening to a preacher, but not everybody's in a church on Sunday morning. And so sometimes you might hear it on TV or on the radio or through a podcast or a greeting card. Somebody shares his or her faith with you. The Word can go forth in a lot of different ways, but that's the seed. The seed is the Word, and the soil then are the hearts of individuals. And through this parable, Jesus is presenting to us four different kinds of hearts, four different kinds of soil, and they all listen, they all hear a little bit differently. And so let's go through this and take a look at these four different hearts represented by soil. The first is the hard heart, the hard heart. And so we're kind of going back and forth again. Jesus tells the parable, there's the explanation of the parable in verses 10 through 12, and then there's uh, the explanation, there's the, the purpose of the parables, verses 10 through 12, and the explanation, verses 13 to 19. So we're going to be kind of going back and forth between the first part of the chapter and the second part of the chapter. So the first is the hard heart. So verse 4, <clears throat> it says, um, sower goes out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. So alongside the soil, there would be like a walkway where the farmer would walk up and down and he would spread his seed that way. He doesn't want to walk through the soil, walks on the path, but as he's walking on the path over and over and over again, the path begins to get packed down and hard. And as he's throwing out the seed, there are some seeds that then fall on this path, but when they fall on the path, there's no penetration. The seed just falls there doesn't go anywhere, bounces off, just lies out there in the open. And what happens? Birds fly down, grab the seed, and take it away. And so this is given to us as an explanation of of the hard heart. This is a particular kind of soil that listens to the Word. I, I think what this is referring to is the person who, as he or she is about to hear the Word, already has his mind made up. That this is the person who has already said in his heart or in his mind, I'm not believing this stuff. This Christianity stuff is a fairy tale. I know what these Christians are like. They're hateful bigots. The Bible has been proven to be wrong. I've heard that. I'm not listening. You know, maybe you come to church because somebody invited you and you want to be nice, or maybe your parents make you come, but you come and in your heart, you're just looking for fault. You've got a posture of suspicion. You have prepared yourself to reject whatever it is that you hear. Your mind is closed. That's the hard heart. Uh, By way of illustration, we at home have... um, we don't have cable TV, we have an antenna out in the back 
yard. Uh, one of the few people, I think, that has actually an antenna. It's taller than our house. We have a two-story house. It's huge. It gets a lot of channels. But there are some channels it won't get. And so when we're looking around for various channels, we, we get to some channels, and they're just, they're just blank. It's just black. There's just nothing there. <laughs> nothing ever comes in. There's no connection. There's no reception. And that's the way some hearts are when they come and they hear the Word of God. No reception. There's no connection at all. Maybe you know what that's like. You've talked to people about the gospel sometimes, and they just get that glazed-over look in their eyes. They change the subject. They don't want to listen. Maybe a better example is when you get that sales call on the phone, and you get the person on the line, and there they are. They're given their sales pitch, and you know where this is going. And you've just tuned them out, and all you're doing is waiting for it to be over so you can say no thank you and hang up. At one level, you're hearing what the person is saying, yeah, but you've tuned them out, your heart is set against it, you're not going to buy their product, and you've shut them down. That's, that's the hard heart. And that's the way some people are when they come to church. That's the way some people are when they hear about the good news of Christmas or Easter and they get a greeting card, and they see that verse, or somebody comes and shares with them the gospel, they're not listening. Could that be you? Even this morning. Jesus explains what is going on, if you go ahead now to verse 15. Here's what's going on. Uh, the ones sown on the path, these are the ones along the path where the word is sown, when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And so we learn here that this is actually a spiritual battle going on. The birds, in a sense, are compared to Satan. That whenever the word goes forth, what Satan wants to do is to distort your understanding, to blind your eyes, to get you to put a negative spin on it, to convince you that this is not relevant, that this is nonsense. That's the work of Satan. That's one of his favorite things to do. And as the word goes forth in thousands of churches all throughout the world, at this very moment, there is a cosmic spiritual battle going on. And even in this room right now, there is a battle going on in your heart, in the soil of your heart, as you hear the word. Satan is wanting to snatch it away, he's trying to blind your eyes. He wants you to put a negative spin on everything that you hear. And so this is the hard heart, the battlefield for Satan as he contends with God's Word. But the second thing we see is the shallow heart. The shallow heart, verse 5, this is the seed that falls on rocky ground. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. So this, this is not really like dirt with rocks mixed in. This is probably just a thin layer of dirt that is over like a larger like bedrock underneath. And so the dirt is very shallow, the seed falls in, there's a little bit of penetration, but there's really no where for the roots to grow. And so as a result of that, verse 6, when the sun rises up, there's no root, and it just burns up in the sun and withers away. Now, this is different than the hard heart, because with the hard heart, there's really no response at all. But with the shallow heart, there is an immediate response. Notice there, it says 
that um, it sprang up in verse 5. Immediately, it, it sprang up. That is, that there's, a, there's a response. So this is the person who hears the gospel, and it kind of sounds good to them. It's like, wow, going to heaven? That's, I like that. My, my sin's forgiven? I mean, sure, who wouldn't want that? And what, new friends? Uh, a new community to hang out with? Yeah, sounds good. I mean, the band sounds good. Come, and I get a kind of live concert on Sunday mornings, and um, yeah, I can see some advantages. You know, I might meet some people, get some networking opportunities. I, sure, yeah, I'll say I believe. Sure, yeah, I'll, I'll get baptized. Sure, why not? Let's do this. It sounds good. They spring up, but they don't have staying power. It, it dries up eventually. We're about to start the NFL season. I'm very excited about that. And uh, there are examples of teams that start really well. So, for instance, in uh, 2008, the Broncos were 4-1. and one. In 2002, the Dolphins were 5-1. and one. And in 2008, the Jets were 8-3, and three, and none of them made the playoffs. <laughs> they just tanked after that. They sprang up. They had a really good start. It was very exciting. They didn't finish. And that's what the shallow heart here, the rocky ground, is intended to represent. And so Jesus explains in verse 17, he says there are at least two reasons why they don't finish well, why they spring up and disappear. The first is that tribulation comes. Verse 17 and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while, then when tribulation comes, trouble comes, they've received Jesus, they're connected to the church, they're happy, but then they lose their job. Then a loved one dies. Then boyfriend or girlfriend breaks up. Then they hear that they have some kind of medical condition. Then they discover that the church wasn't quite as ideal as they thought. They're disappointed. Someone hurt their feelings. Pastor didn't do what they thought he was supposed to do. Tribulation. It's trouble. And then suddenly it's, ah, this isn't really what I signed up for. Trouble comes. Or, if it's not tribulation, it's persecution. That's the next thing that Jesus mentions. Tribulation or persecution arises, notice, on account of the Word. This is persecution that comes based on a person's profession of faith in Jesus, persecution for being a Christian. So somebody finds out that you're a believer, and you find that they, they're very critical of that. Uh, they're not quite as warm to you as they used to be. You are rejected, maybe, in your family. You're taunted by others. Perhaps you are even assaulted, or you lose your job, or you wind up in prison. You're persecuted. And so, in some cases, people who have received the word, they're persecuted, and then they think the same thing. I, I didn't sign up for this. This is not what I expected. I thought being a Christian was all happiness. And they find that there's trouble. Friends, the reason that this happens very often is because of a shallow heart, because of a superficial Christianity, because of a faith that is feeble, because people have not taken the time to grow and learn and mature in their faith. And that's what we are here as a church to do for you and to help you with. And that's why Pastor Brian just mentioned to you the equip groups. 
a primary, ideal way for you to grow in your faith. That's why we join here every Sunday morning and hear the word preach. That's why we have discipleship hour classes at 9 o'clock. That's why we have them not only for the adults, but for the children as well. We want you to learn. We want you to grow. That's what the Scriptures command us to do. Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Are you prepared to grow? How are you growing? What is your plan to grow? Are you more mature as a Christian today than you were a year ago or five years ago or ten years ago? When we refuse to grow, our hearts remain shallow, and then we are vulnerable to tribulation and persecution. And that's what Jesus is informing us about. There's a third kind of heart, the distracted heart. Verse 7, and these are the seeds that fall among thorns, or another word would be weeds. And uh, the thorns, they grow up, and they choke the world, and it yields no grain. And then we go forward to verses 18 and 19, and here's where Jesus explains what he means by this. These are the ones among thorns, and they are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfaithful, unfruitful. And, and so, two things here. Here's what causes these people to, to fall away. First of all, necessities. Those are the cares of the world. They hear the word, they believe, they commit to the church, but then life happens, and job, their job gets busier, and they're working longer hours. They start to get concerned about money, so they got to work harder to make more money. They, they get caught up in caring for their, their children. The children overwhelm them, and they start thinking of retirement and all they have to do to get ready for that, and their car is breaking down, and they've got to fix their car, and they've got to maintain their house, and they've got to get good grades, and they've got to apply for college, and on and on it goes, and the necessities of life just overwhelm them, and they have no time for the Word. Boy, aren't we all subject to that? Life gets busy. All of these things are totally legitimate, by the way. We're all called to seek to earn money, raise our kids, plan for retirement, take care of our cars and houses. Nothing wrong with any of that. I mean, we have to do that. But when those things become so consuming and dominating that you have no interest anymore for spiritual things, the seed is being choked in your life. That's what's happening. Necessities can choke the word. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added unto you. That's what Jesus says. But it's not just the necessities that choke, it's the luxuries also. And that's what Jesus means by the deceitfulness of riches, the pursuit of wealth, the lust for money. Again, nothing wrong with making money. Money is not bad in itself. But we all know how easy it is to be absolutely consumed with it. It fills our hearts with worry and anxiety as we worry about how much money we're going to have and whether we have enough money to pay our bills. And shouldn't I be making more money than so-and-so? Shouldn't I have a bigger house? Shouldn't I have a faster car? Shouldn't I have a lake house? And we get consumed with these things. Paul warns us about this and says, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. 
Money is not bad. If you have a big house and a fast car, there's nothing to feel bad about. But friends, don't let those things cloud out your spiritual life. Riches can be a distraction. Now, Jesus also mentions one other thing here, this very kind of a vague comment, right? Deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things. <laughs> other things. So, wow, that's, that's a pretty wide open category there. I want to suggest uh, that something that could fit in that category would be our current tendency to be completely obsessed with online interaction and our smartphones. We talk about a distraction, a unique distraction. According to the BBC, uh, we are spending 4.8 hours a day on our phones. A third of our waking time is spent looking at our phones. Uh, Tony Reinke says this, we check our smartphones about 81,500 times each year or once every 4.3 minutes of our waking lives, which means you will be tempted to check your phone three times before you finish this chapter. <laughs> of course, there are a lot of ways that our smartphones are, are needful for our job and for our family. I, I understand that. But um, uh, this is certainly not to say that if you have a smartphone that you are on the cusp of falling away from the faith. I don't mean that either. But we should be aware of the unique power that our smartphones have to distract us. This is what Jesus is warning about. There's the distracted heart, the busyness of life, the deceitfulness of riches, other things. Now, one thing you might ask here is, is Jesus teaching here that it's possible to lose your salvation? Like, are all these people those who have genuinely believed and receive the forgiveness of sins, and then God revoked that from them, that like God accepted them into His kingdom and then booted them out? Is that what this is saying? And I would say to you, no, that's not what this is saying. I think in every one of these cases, there's, there's, there's something shallow here. There's no rootedness in any of these situations. I don't think any of these are describing genuine conversions to Christ. If we look at 1 John 2, he talks about those who went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they were all not of us. They were not of us. They were, they were never genuine believers. So I don't think that this is teaching that we can lose our salvation. The better question that we should all be asking after what we've learned so far is, do I have a hard heart? Do I resist what I hear from the Word of God? Do I have a shallow heart? Am I content with a superficial faith? Do I have a distracted heart? Am I overwhelmed by the busyness of life? But there's one more heart to consider, and that's the fruitful heart. The fruitful heart. Verse 8. Other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing, yielding 30, 60, 100-fold. The fruitful heart is compared here to the good soil. Well, what does this heart look like? Verse 20. Go ahead to verse 20. Jesus explaining. He says, these are the ones that they, they hear the word and they accept it. They, they, they receive it. They, they believe it. They don't resist it or push it away. They accept it, but notice it's not just accepting it, it is also bearing fruit. 
And here's how we can see the difference between superficial belief and genuine belief. It's those who bear fruit, those who give evidence of the genuineness of their faith. We're not saved by bearing fruit, but the person who is truly saved, having received the gospel, is going to bear fruit. But notice the fruit that is born comes at different levels, right? 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Not everybody bears fruit at the same level. There's something encouraging about this, right? I mean, not all of us bear 100-fold fruit. And so we shouldn't be discouraged when we see others who are more mature or more engaged, better Christians than we are. We shouldn't feel threatened by that. God grows us at different rates, at different levels. But the question is, is there any fruit in your life? Is there any evidence of something different? Is there any evidence of growth? Or is it just bad soil? Like our green beans. Nothing's coming up. The more important question, friends, that I think we should answer as we close here, more important really than even examining fruit, that's very important, but the, but the first question that I want you to, to consider here this morning is, is how are you listening to the Word as it goes forth to proclaim to you the very essence of the gospel? How, how are you listening to that? Have you really heard the gospel? Yeah, you've heard Jesus died on the cross for sins. Yeah, you know that, but I mean, has that gotten to your heart? I mean, have you really listened to that? Or have you just tuned it out? Same old thing, I keep hearing about this. Have you really listened to the fact that what the gospel says is that you were created by God? You're a creature made in His image. You have significance, you have purpose in this life. You're not an animal. You've been created by God, but you have rebelled against Him. You've sinned against Him, and you've made Him angry. God is angry at sin, and you have been under His condemnation. You know, right there, a lot of people are tuning out. Ah, I don't believe in a wrathful God. Nope. Tuning out. Are you tuning out right now? Story goes on. Gospel goes on. But God, in His mercy and His love, He sent a Savior. He entered into this world in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. And he lived a perfect life. He obeyed the law on our behalf. And then he voluntarily went to a cross. And out of love for you, he laid down his life. And he shed blood. And that blood pays for sin. And he didn't just die, but he was risen from the dead. That's what we celebrate on Easter. He overcame the penalties of death. And now he says to all of us, repent of your unbelief and your sin and believe on his name. Are you listening? Did you hear that? If you place faith in Jesus, the promise is that you will have eternal life. Your sins will be forgiven. All of your guilt will be removed. You will go to heaven. Your body will be resurrected one day, and you will live on a new heavens and a new earth where all sin and pain and sorrow is erased forever. That's the promise. But do you believe it? Have you heard this? Are you listening? Let him who has ears, or for him who has ears to hear, let him hear. Father, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you for its truthfulness. We thank you, Lord, for explaining these things to us, Jesus. Thank you for teaching us, and thank you for the goodness of the gospel and the promise of eternal life in your Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.